Yes, I, I do. All right, it's end of the year, and of course we have Brian Eggert on. Welcome back, Brian. Thanks for having me. Um, Brian knows he's done this before. Uh, dedication time. So what would you like to dedicate this episode to? Uh, I'd like to dedicate it to my wife, who's been extremely patient during this uh, busy award season. Um, she hasn't always been able to go to all the award screeners and and press screenings, so um, she's been very patient with me, uh, having to be away so often during the holiday season. So, um, yeah, I'd like to dedicate it to her. I want to dedicate it to all the people that was saw poor things in the cinema and understood Lanthimos's films and didn't leave and they got all the jokes and understand what he's all about so you know a yeah. pack theater oh that's good. it's wonderful to have everybody understands we're all on the same level what we're getting into when we get into a yoga slam the most film and of course i'll talk about poor things later on so yeah sure let's, wonderful let's start the show hello and welcome to another episode of the saint paul Filmcast with your host nick palatichuk each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Palillo, and thanks for listening, and thanks for finding us. Please give us a review, and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera, action. All right, welcome back to the show. I uh, just want to let you know that uh, you can follow me and you can get to see me on YouTube with other film critic Kyle Gothi. I'm on a uh, uh, YouTube channel, Kyle Nick on Film. We got some new episodes, so um, go over there, hit a like and subscribe. A little thing that you can do, it's a big thing for us. Um, also, uh, Brian Eggert, you can catch Brian on Care 11 Saturday mornings, critiquing movies. Um, I think you just talked about recently on an airing about your top couple of films and we might be mentioning too while we talk about this. Yeah, I did a recent bit about uh, some new releases and then I talked about uh, Christmas movies as well on another segment. Hidden segments of Christmas. Wonderful. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so we have a list of 10 um, and uh, before we get going, um, do you have any honorable mentions did you want to throw out that didn't quite make the cut for you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, a few that... You know that I just really liked throughout the year that uh, I don't think got enough attention. Uh, Polite Society uh, was an outstanding kind of uh, action comedy about sisterhood and in, in the British Pakistani culture. Interesting. Um, okay. It's about arranged marriages and a girl who wants to be a a stunt woman. Um, it's super fun. One of the most entertaining movies I saw this year. Okay. Uh, highly recommend people check that out. Um, Rye Lane is another one, a romantic comedy uh, that's on Hulu you could check out. Um, you know, I'll be talking about a lot of A24 movies, but uh, sure. Talk to Me and, and Bo is Afraid uh, were some that I really loved. Um, Bottoms, the, I, the comedy Bottoms was just maybe the best comedy of the year. That would be on my right, and I just watched it a couple of days ago, and it just it started that trajectory and didn't leave from it. It is it is its own little universe, and I love it. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it has a very poignant comedic message to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a fire, uh, Tori and Lokita. Um, I'm not sure if this will be on your list, but it, it wasn't in my top ten. But Oppenheimer, uh, I really liked. I didn't didn't love it as much as other people. But um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I think yeah. is a special movie. I just actually rewatched that again last night, and um, it's just a. It's just an amazing little movie, and um, and then Perfect Days is another one that I think Perfect people, Days. Okay. Uh, that is uh, was released by Neon, 
and it, I don't think it's even been released in Minnesota yet, but uh, it's by uh, Vim Vendors, who uh, hasn't really made a, I would say, a great movie in 30 years, uh, but he sort of... Keep working. Yeah, yeah, uh, he, yeah he's, he's prolific. I mean, he's got a movie out every other year or so. Um, he's got two out uh, in 2023. One is a documentary. Um, but Perfect Days is about a, a, a Japanese toilet worker um, who just kind of kind of lives a very quiet life he takes photos he oh right um, this is on the neo uh, neons catalog that the um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yes i think um you probably got that as well the neons like right. uh, disc set that they send out to promote their movies um yeah i highly recommend you check that out it's it's uh very close to being in my top 10 Oh, yeah. Um, if I could just spit out mine, Bombs is one of them, too. Really surprised. Yeah. Uh, dialogue is really, really has a punch to it and has it's very acidic for some, but I get the whole gimmick that football players will wear the uniforms everywhere they go. I love that gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I did like Priscilla. I like the performance of the uh, the actress who played Priscilla. Yeah. Uh, we'll yeah. talk more about that um, later. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, You Hurt My Feelings. Um, definitely Talk to Me was one of the best horror movies I've seen in a long time that just didn't make the cut for me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, and All of Us Strangers didn't make my cut, and I did, like, appreciate it. That was very um, high up on my list, too. I actually uh, rewatched yeah. My wife didn't get a chance to see that with me, and we rewatched it last night, and uh, it's just, uh, you know, just leaves me in a sloppy mess of tears and, and and it's kind of an open wound of a movie that i i really loved and i'm just gonna put another one a uh, dream scenario i just was i, I strong strong uh, strong honorable mention for me yeah it just it kind of a little bit of falter at the second act where i knew it was going to take that steep and it just stayed True. there yeah with uh kind of a predictable kind of an ending to it but i really enjoyed the idea of this i yeah. hope they kind of explored a little bit more um, it seems like you can probably get a sequel out of it, but it's an interesting dream scenario. So, yeah, uh, we'll get right into our top 10. Um, obviously, there's going to be some overlap. So if you bring up one before I do, we can get, get into it and go. Yeah. Um, well, look, should yeah. we get into like if we, if there's overlap, get into the second, the highest higher ranking sure. version? That's when you can get into it. Okay. Sure. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. So I'm very interested. This is a, a real accomplished year of film. Um, to talk about with Brian Eggert. So, Brian, um, really, what is your top, uh, the beginning with it, what's your 10 best film of the year? Uh, my 10 is Martin Scorsese's Killer of the Flower, Flower Killers of the Flower Moon. Let me get that out right. Wonderful. This will be my number nine. Okay. Um, so, do you want to, <laughs> should we wait and talk about it? In, sure. At, at that point? Or? Yeah. Um, number 10 for me is Anatomy of a Fall, which I think might be in your film category uh it's not in my top 10 um okay. i did really like the movie though but um yeah, yeah uh, i think it's a really fascinating a really fascinating uh courtroom drama um that's yeah. well you you talk about it it's your well it's interesting <laughs> that this year because you mentioned a fire which i really did appreciate too that yeah um and as far as all of us strangers, and then this one, the writers are really getting it there. Uh, characters who are writers are really getting it to the But right, the demographic of uh, did she commit this murder, yeah. um, or was it an accident, or was it an intentional? Uh, very much reminds me of Reversal of Fortune with Jeremy Irons. Uh, yeah. Did he do this? Did he not to do this? But he doesn't really help his case very much anymore. That's kind of like Reversal of Fortune. Very much with uh, how you Huller. How do you say her? Uh, Sandra Huller, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, very much of her not helping her case also, but it's not intentional. Sometimes there's some 
found footage of her accusations and stuff like that. But right. it's a, it's it's interesting concept of isolation, which kind of almost a fire was talking about with writers of mm -hmm. you isolate, but that doesn't help your case. But it's kind of a force ejection. I see the theme as much of a play on force of applying your needs on other people, and then it's almost like something's going to happen, whether it's um, intentional or not. There's going to be a, some kind of a break, some kind of friction when two forces collide, something like that. So yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw it as like a, a investigation into the ambiguity of human beings. Um, I think that courtroom dramas are very often looking for like a black and white guilty or not guilty yeah. um stance on people yeah. and this definitely you know exists in the gray area um where she's not she's not guilty she's not not guilty um and it's really up to the viewer to decide the verdict despite the courtroom verdict um and that's really that's a really fascinating approach to that um i think maybe you know if i can offer some mild critiques that oh yeah that nope. maybe maybe not hurt my feelings <laughs> okay uh that maybe prevented me from like absolutely loving the movie i think there are some just weird visual choices that are made by um by the director who uh you know she yeah 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 a little bit stretching out unnecessarily yeah yeah she stretches things out but they're just like like visual choices where she's um moving the camera in weird ways or you know there's some really inspired uh visual trickery like like when uh the main character's on the stand and you're kind of like volleying from one attorney to the other that's a really inspired technique but yeah. then um there are just moments that especially when they're in the house and the camera's kind of moving in in jarring ways that didn't it felt like almost like a docudrama at times and then at times very like mannerist um so yeah. i don't know I, I was a little confused by the aesthetic but otherwise the script i think was was great it's a, definitely a lot of lift from jimmy stewart's uh what's anatomy of a murder yeah yeah very much so and i think the title kind of fits in if you like if you appreciate that i think you appreciate anatomy of a fall right um very sometimes clunky unnecessarily and yeah there's some some things that need to be cleaned up a little bit really elevated but uh, i do like the concept okay killers of the flower moon is your 10 yeah so this is a you know this is uh david grand's book based on david grand's book and uh, which i had read a couple years ago outstanding book just really um i left feeling very or set it down feeling very angry and and <laughs> you know just uh, giving me another reason to feel upset about american history and and uh um, and then when they announced the film, I was very excited about it. Um, and yeah, it mostly lived up to potential. I think, I think they made some smart choices about shifting the perspective. Um, in the book, the perspective was very much from the investigator's point of view and it was intentional because it was drawing from evidence, like, you know, actual yeah. FBI files and whatnot. Um, but in the movie, you know, you kind of are are from Leonardo DiCaprio's point of view for the most part. Um, but you're also getting, uh, you know, Lily Gladstone's perspective. Um, debatably not enough. Uh, there's been a lot of debate about that, about whether or not it's enough representation for the Osage, the Osage people. Um, but ultimately, the I mean, I, I saw it twice in the theater and it's a it's a fast paced three and a half hour movie that really 
confronts American history in a in a way that is you know unshakable. Um, right, I, it's very saturated. The sets that you know Scorsese uses for the lens is very saturated. I did sure. like the the aesthetic. I mean, it starts right away. I mean, boom. You think it's like a three-hour movie, but you have this very long thread of Leo's arc, but yeah. right in Lily Gadstone's character, who's kind of put off a little bit. She's a lean, but I understand that's like a slow emergence of them getting together. Yeah, yeah. I, I really love the theme of, and this is kind of a recurring theme in my top ten, but the compartmentalization that people have. Um, his character is at once preying on her family yeah yet when he says that he's in love with her um he means it and it's just it's something that scorsese's constantly investigating which is like this this cognitive dissonance between people's actions and how they see themselves um and that's right. true of you know goodfellas or mean right. streets what or, do you mean i'm a bad guy right 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 <laughs> um yeah. and i think that's such a fascinating look at not mm -hmm. only that character but it's like kind of the american myth that you know we're this yeah. <laughs> you know we're, we're this morally just um country and uh yet we have all these horrible crimes in our past that doesn't get taught a lot in u.s history right right yes i absolutely agree that's number nine of mine uh, what is number nine on yours? Uh, my number nine is You Hurt My Feelings. Oh, I was just going to talk about it. Yeah, did, yeah. I think it was in my – did I mention it was in my you, HM? You did, yeah. yeah. Uh, another one of the writer gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's an interesting development about married relationships. A lot of this is – a lot of these movies are talking about marriage and ambiguity of her over eavesdropping on her husband. Yeah. And he's like, I don't really like her books. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, it's it could have gone one way with being a disaster, but I like how the tone of theme doesn't really match. It's devastating to realize that people that you love don't really care what you do, right? Including right. your students. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus is giving such a great performance yeah. here. It's such a lived Perfect. in. It, she's she's never been so dimensional. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, Nicole Hall of Center, who wrote and directed this movie, made Enough Said a few years ago with her. Mm -hmm. um, that's a movie that I maybe prefer a little bit more than this one, just slightly because of my affection for James Gandolfini. But, um, you know, I think there's something to be said for a movie that is just kind of a New York walk and talk movie. Um, yeah, where, a lot of talking head, but it, it's never dull. It's never dull. Yeah. Uh, I, these characters, you know, I, I laughed, I cried, I left feeling like that movie executed exactly what it set out to do and it's a you know it's a short 90 minute movie that um makes you feel so much in that time and uh I, it resonated with me personally because as a you know as a creative person i'm constantly looking for validation and you know my my wife will give me honest feedback uh she'll give me negative feedback and um i i love that uh but at the same time i wouldn't blame her for right you know feeding me a line of bowl just to make me feel better and that's yeah. the that's the complex nature of like a long lasting relationship it's a it's an exchange and as someone who's been in a long lasting relationship that really affected me uh i just did a quick i don't want to do it but i for comics illustrated i did a quick essay about writing and the crucial element of your writing has to be about pain sure and this is pain but it's not so much like the aggravation pain but the understanding that what the world that you build around is not not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, you have a great book out. Everybody likes this one book, but 
it's not your what you considered your best. Right. And everybody, I think everybody as an artist kind of agree, like, I really like this one, but people like, but I like the other one. You know, yeah. It's almost like <laughs> right. being a musician. Everybody, you know, I'm sure the Rolling Stones hate playing Satisfaction, which is their favorite movie. Not yeah. I mean, favorite song, but eventually it's the one everybody wants to hear. Absolutely. I'm sure they want to hear some other stuff. But right, I understand. It's a crucial element of creativity of pain and understand that you're not really necessarily in competition even with your students. Sure. But she perceives it as such. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it's completely 100% genuine throughout the whole movie. I yeah. love the whole process. Yeah. yeah. Um, number eight for me would be Barbie. Barbie. All right. I Great. loved it. Yeah. A little janky at times, but I understand where Greta is doing with this. She's kind of breaking up the pieces of her construct of, well, you want me to do a Barbie movie? Well, I'll do it this way. Yeah. Um, trying to divorce from the, what you balancing what you want me to individual creativity not to mention this symbol that can be destructive for females but empowerment at the same time i think mm -hmm. she does a wonderful balance with it and try to make it funny as also yeah yeah i i've been a huge Greta gerwig fan for for many many years back to you know her earliest like mumblecore uh and mumble gore movies um and so, yeah, it's great to see her making a you know a billion dollar movie. Um, I think that's one exceptional thing that's going on this year is that the normal blockbusters, the superhero movies and stuff, aren't really performing that great. But you get two movies by really artist driven productions, Barbie and Oppenheimer, coming out and just killing it. Uh, yeah. And I think that's such an amazing story for twenty twenty three. And that movie, you know, I just. I actually just rewatched that in Oppenheimer the other night because uh, <laughs> um, I hadn't done the whole Barbenheimer thing. You know, I never I saw them individually at press screenings and those were on different nights. So I didn't do like the sure. whole double feature thing. So I finally did the Barbenheimer thing just to kind of see how it works. And it worked, you know, it was, it was I don't know that they really work together, but whatever. Um, but the movie, yeah, it's super entertaining. Um, I, I really love all the messages. It's it's. You know, it's not subtle, but I, I don't think it needs to be. I think it's uh, it's getting a great message out there that, you know, 30, 20, 30 years ago just wasn't wasn't in the would never be in a blockbuster like this. You couldn't make this a movie. I think even fifteen years ago, a lot right. of people would have shut that down. This kind of construct. Totally. But yeah, I like how Greta, even when she did Little Women, take this story and then kind of how do we flip it on its head? Yep. To yep. how we you know, almost ostracized female writers slowly interjected into the movie Little Women. But yeah, it's it's the, the little temperaments of her signature that are really like, and I, and I know her husband actually helped contributing. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I know they write together, which probably interesting. Of course, we're probably going to get a sequel to this. Be interesting how they want to direct a sequel to this kind of a thing. I wonder if they yeah. will do that. Yeah. yeah, I know she's going to be kind of tied up with um, Chronicles of Narnia movies over the at Netflix for the next few years. I think she's signed on to do two, yeah. um, which is it, which is exciting. You know, it's good that she's getting another big yeah. Hollywood production. At the same time, I kind of prefer. Um, I prefer the smaller movies that she's done with Noah Baumbach. You know, I like White Noise and and Francis Ha and Mistress America stuff yeah. like that. Where where it's just it's a little bit, um, you know, smaller. I guess um, I just don't want her v very strong voice to get lost in a big production. Yeah, you know? uh, appreciate it. Could have gone vanilla, but she definitely put her little salt in it. Oh, totally. Yeah, appreciate totally. it. Yeah, so. What is your number eight? My number eight is Priscilla. 
Wonderful. Um, Wonderful. I'm typically not a huge fan of Sofia Coppola, so this surprised me as you know as much as it might surprise somebody who. Yeah, her Marie you know, Antoinette wasn't really a fan favorite. Right. Um, her first one, Virgin Suicides, was kind of an interesting kind of a first one getting out there. Yeah. 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 Um, she always kind of leaves me cold, I think. Um, but this movie, I was really. Rick, yes. <laughs> yes. I exactly. Agree. Right. Um. Uh, this movie was so powerful, uh, especially as a, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of Elvis last year, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, and I'm not a huge fan of Elvis in general, um, largely because I just, you know, read about his background and I don't really think he's like, uh, I don't know, a, a, a respectable person, uh, even though his music is good. Uh, so I appreciated the approach of like, we're going to tell Priscilla's story and it's based on her autobiography Yeah, and it shows him as, you know, kind of a groomer and like this toxic personality who's, who's dominating what begins is like a, I think a 14 year old girl um, is when, when they meet and, and you know, he just kind of groobs her over the next few years and, and then Mary it's, uh, it's all very creepy. And, and you know, that's the reality is that, yeah, he started talking to her when he was when she was in her mid teens and in junior high of all things. Um and you see her and I've heard some criticism of the movie that it's that it is cold and it's hard to connect with. And I think if you if you imagine yourself as a as a 15-year-old and whoever your biggest crush was as a you know, like celebrity crush right, yeah. suddenly started courting you, your personality would disappear and as a 15 year old, you would probably do whatever you needed to do to stay in that person's good graces. Um, and I think that's a really fascinating, you know, approach that you're showing this character denying herself for so long. And in the end there's, you know, this moment where they, where they're going to get a divorce and it's just so overwhelmingly powerful. And, and it it just hit me so hard. Like you spent two hours with this, character being oppressed basically and finally she's she's standing up for herself and 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 that's when you get mad right right that's the sever the severance yeah it's just it's such a powerful such a powerful ending um such a restrained main performance by kaylee spanny i know she's she's probably going to get you know overlooked when it comes to like oscars and stuff like that which i think is unfortunate but she's outstanding um yeah, it's maybe my favorite Sofia Coppola film, and um, not something I was expecting to be in my top ten list. Yeah, I really think she's kind of matured from the little awkward steps from Virgin Suicides sure. and doing Marie Antoinette. Um, I really was a fan favorite of Beguiled. I know a lot of people didn't like that, but I really appreciate Beguiled. Um, Priscilla is definitely, I think she found what she wants to do filmmaking-wise, not so have like a big ensemble cast, maybe three or four, sure. and really concentrate on one kind of character. I do like this. It's not an Elvis movie. This is Priscilla's story Yeah, um, for her perspe- perspective. And right, you can see this Elvis that is not of the glam that we see from last year of the performer. You get behind the curtains. That's not, you know, the warts and all. It's, it's not this personality that maybe was fostered. Maybe right. it was encouraged because you get a lot of yes people when you're a big celebrity and star and right. you get everything you want and sometimes you want this and then you don't want that and then you want this now. And people handle that kind of an attitude. And then, right, when you stick up for yourself in front of them, it's a punch in the face to them that bruises the ego. But, right, yeah, right. it's it's very awkward, but it's delicately 
played. You could have gone one way and make it look like it's horrendous, but she does a wonderful, wonderful balance of showing even her parents, like, you're playing with fire right. here. Well, yeah. she kind of wants to. It's almost like you, you really want to get involved with this, and yes, she does. And you're like screaming like, no, don't do it, and yeah, you know right. it's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's wonderfully a mature filmmaker, definitely, and I think she found exactly how she wants to construct stories, this kind of coldness that you can see. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful played. I'm glad you put it on your list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've actually been kind of rewatching, and I think I've probably done Sofia Coppola a, a disservice in the past because um, I, I rewatched On the Rocks, her last movie. It came out during uh, COVID with yeah. with Bill Murray and Rashida Jones, and boy, I I really loved that movie upon rewatching it. So over the next year, I'm probably gonna like go back and do a a reassessment of her work and and hopefully a, a writing of of my opinions of her. Wonderful. Uh, number seven. Um, I just watched this a uh, couple nights ago, and it really is a punch in the gut, and I really appreciate it. Uh, zone of interest. Okay. Yeah. Should we Should we hold off until I'm gonna We're, we're gonna talk about that later. Go ahead. You're okay. Right. Yeah. All right. What is your number seven? Uh, my number seven is Christian Munju's RMN. Uh, see this one? No. Okay. I don't think um, my viewers have either. All right. Um, so this is, uh, you can rent this right now. It's an IFC release. It came out earlier this year. Uh, I saw it at the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul International Film Festival. Um, so Munju, he's probably best known for four months, three weeks, two days, um, which won the Palme d'Or back in, I think, 2007. Okay. Uh, he also made the movie Graduation uh, from 2016. Um, but this is a story that takes place in Transylvania, and it's based on an actual uh, town hall meeting uh, video that the director saw on YouTube. And basically, the town hall meeting was about um, wanting to get outsiders out of their village. And so the story is all about this um, local bakery in this Transylvania town that hires uh, Sri Lankan workers uh, on a on a you know on a on a um, international working w- worker program yeah and the locals which are cons- uh, which consist of various nationalities uh, that are all kind of blended together Romanian Transylvanian etc um, don't want these Sri Lankan workers in their town um, they have all sorts of prejudices about them they're they're dirty and blah 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 um, and they the the film kind of culminates with this very long um, single shot town hall sequence where there's all kinds of languages um, that are represented in different colored subtitles um, and, and perspectives uh, on, on this issue. And you just kind of see the, I, I think the overall point is to, to look at how, at least in this European, in this one example, how a lot of different cultures have influenced this town okay. um, over time. Okay. A- and, um, Certain, you know, for a time there was just Romanian people there. For a time there were just Trans- Transylvanian people there. Uh, and they've all kind of moved in and the the definition of who belongs there um, has changed over time. Um, and I think what's fascinating is that, f- let's say for America, we think that, you know, this is our land. Well, you know, it's obviously not our land but before we were here there were other people here and it was not their land before you know it was just the land it was the animals land um so it's kind of looking at this 
the perspective of ownership and who belongs where with um, with a thousand yard view and saying nobody really belongs anywhere and all of our prejudices are superficial and the lines between countries are superficial and it, it kind of made me think of um, Jean Renoir's Grand Illusion uh, yeah. from 1937 where yeah. the Grand Illusion is that we're different that nationality has any sort of meaning yeah. we're, prisoner guard but I outrank you right but it's based on class and rank but you're a prisoner and I right yeah. right but but we're all just human beings and, human, and yeah. we can identify with each other on that level yeah. um, and people invent ways to create those sort of boundaries between each other exactly right. um, yeah. so it's a really fascinating uh, very dense movie I mean if you're familiar with this director's work you know it's not going to be um, an easy watch but uh, it's a really really fascinating movie that um, I haven't stopped thinking about since I saw it uh, number six for me is uh, one that's when I first saw it it's been on my list it's stayed on it's been up and down but it's going to stay at number six uh, past lives with Celine song Okay, should, uh, we, should we hold on? We should hold on, <laughs> okay. definitely. What is your number six? My number six is uh, The Zone of Interest. Wonderful. Um, right. So, yeah, great. We're, we're seems like we're pretty well aligned. Um, so, yeah, it was on... It this was, is uh, what, Jonathan Hayes? Uh, Jonathan Glazer. Jonathan Glazer, sorry, um, who came on the scene with uh, Sexy Beast. Um, and I think he's once again, um, he's done... He's, these bold movies of taking big bats. Right. But here, this is a bold construct with very soft projection. Um, no music score I could think of when this was. Well, there, yeah. there is one. Yeah. Uh, Mika Levy is, um, uh, she, uh, he did. Love the foreboding drum kind of a thing. Right. There's yeah. kind of tones in the background and it's like a, it's kind of a nightmarish soundscape that is created. Um, yeah, this, constructing a paradise but keeping out all the horrendous things out of your universe yeah and it kind of almost ignoring it where you're kind of responsible for it as well right yeah so for those who aren't familiar um the movie is about uh, a, a real life a real life ss commander whose home was situated literally literally shared a wall with uh the auschwitz concentration camp yeah and so there was like this little little um as you said paradise kind of uh right next to the camp uh so you're constantly hearing you're, you're seeing these people live um in their little uh, you know in their gardens in their very nice house but just over the wall which you never see over um is you know human atrocity going right, on yeah. and you, you hear that constantly like that's a constant force that's going on um despite what you're seeing it's like it's like you're kind of having to process two worlds um at, at one time and it's re it's a really jarring um really conceptual execution yeah. like it's it, it it almost works like like an art installation i think in a yes. in, yeah. in a modern art museum or something like that it's almost like an experiment let's put this people in the garden of eden but you're responsible for these actions that are happening outside of you that are horrendous. Right. Um, right. You don't see the horror, but the sound effects are far more agitated. It's far more of a punch to you just to hear it. And then yeah. treating it like, you know, we're just sunbathing in the back of the, yeah. There's right. some other exteriors of them. And, you know, the exteriors are wonderful. They're in the woods or in mm -hmm. the river. They're fishing and everything's kind of um, almost this wonderful, ideal dialect, uh, family structure. Right. 
right. while all this is happening. But yeah, it's shot really well. A lot of still camera movement and let the action happen in front of you. I I, I love how it's framed. I love the uh, design of it. Um, and it's a bold structure to talk about this and show it this way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's definitely, um, you know, like I said, a, a work of conceptual art. But it's but you know, as you're saying, it's a bold one. Um, it's very you know. Re- Almost Kubrickian, uh, which is kind of a, a yeah. term that I think you could describe his last few films as. You know, he made Under the Skin and and Birth, and I think in two thousand four. And this one stars also Sandra Holler too from An Enemy of the Fall. Correct, so, correct. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I I think it's it's a really, man, I don't stru- structured, uh, visual experience that's logical and not too subjective and just trying to kind of a lot of master shots, a lot of like, let's take a step back and look at this family. Um, And it's a really nightmarish, you know, once you start processing the reality that they're in, I I think it's, (laughs) you know, it's kind of what I was talking about before with cognitive dissonance. You're, you're just compartmentalizing um, what's going on beyond either that, or you just don't care. Um, it, you know that that's the mindset of these people, and it's a really disturbing. Either you're ignoring it, or you don't care. Right, yeah. right. Um, and I think in some cases it's clear that in the husband's the main the main uh, SS officer's um, perspective, he's actively ignoring it. He he turns away several times from like the smokestacks and just doesn't want to look at at it. And I think his wife is kind of she doesn't care. Uh, she's happy to benefit from it, and yeah. later in the movie, when it it's suggested that they might move, she doesn't want to move. She wants to live there. Yeah, it's she, paradise for her. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's such a and disturbing. She's free coats from all the people that are in at Auschwitz, coats and jewelry and all this right, stuff. And, right. And yeah. I, I think it's such a. Not only is it a uh, really engaging portrait of the Holocaust that makes you that confronts you with the reality of it, um, even without showing you the reality of it, but it's also a comment on our ability to ignore the horrors that are going on around us um, in our world today. Uh, Absolutely. So often, you know, we immerse ourselves in in movies or or whatever to just kind of block out everything that's going on. You'd go crazy if you tried to emotionally process every every atrocity that was happening in the world. Um, And yet at the same time, you know, we're responsible for that in some some sense. Wonderful. Wonderful filmmaking. Absolutely. The camera, I mean, even when the airplanes are flying overhead. I mean, obviously you had to hire airplanes. I don't think those are CGI'd in. Right. And then you get the whole construct of the, of the the party, the Nazi party of him trying to navigate where I, where do I belong into this yeah. aristocratic place. And, you understand, and then, right, wonderful framed story of just, and then looking, hey, this place, look, this backyard looks wonderful. Well, you, you turn the camera and all of a sudden you see the smokestacks and the screaming and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Wonderful play on the juxtaposition. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Number five for you. Uh, my number five is Past Lives. Okay. So this right. was your number six? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was such a, it's such a beautiful movie. Um, it's very, it's deceptively simple, but there's really just a complexity yeah. of, of formal execution in terms of just like the, the camera work, the camera placement, the, the, the movements throughout. I mean, if you watch, there's a lot of camera movements that are going from right to left, which is, you know, at least in the Western mindset is yeah. like kind of backward. Um, and 
that's you know ultimately what the movie's about it's about uh, a woman looking back at her past and determining whether that can still be a part of her identity um, whether she can relive that uh, perspective um, that she had in the past or whether that's just a piece of her um, and so you know when the camera finally moves from left to right uh, toward the end it's uh, it feels like such an overwhelming moment that you know she's finally like progressing yeah um, yeah, she's finally progressing and, and allowing herself to not live in the past necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's such an astounding debut from playwright Celine Song. I think she's, you know, uh, such a well-written and, um, I mean, the di- the dialogue between, for instance, um, Greta Lee and her husband, John Magaro, um, is so tender and real and uh, they allow kind of the, the husband to be, um, a full-fledged character who's got you know a, a definite perspective on what's going on. Um, yeah, I just I don't know. I I, I absolutely loved it. I I think it's when I first saw it, I was blown away, and then I watched it again, and I was just like, oh god, this got me. You know, it, it got me. It got me moved all over again. So could have gone one way, and if they went that way, I was like, this is just too hokey, but it went the way it should have gone, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the beginning of the movie, yeah, you get this stereotypical, well, she's talking to, yeah, they're both Asian. Well, obviously, they're in a relationship, and he's just there to be supportive. Right. And you get the whole breakup of stereotype, right? Right. Um, yeah, and the awkwardness of what you were as a kid is not what you are as an adult, even though some people wish you were, and you're trying to break out to your own individualism, not to mention you're married as a, something that's your identity as well. And you're trying to carve out a little bit of identity. You know, you know, there's a lot of things being juggled here delicately, but it's not played that way. Right. It's kind of almost presented front and center. Yeah. I loved it. Um, it was very, it's a delicate process to do because you could have gone one way and it did not go that way. It's, it's kind of hard but it's so appreciated and so right. The tender is the word for it too. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, a lot of people talk about this movie is about that. It's about romantic yearning. And I, I tend to disagree. I think I didn't say that word. Yeah. No, no, no. no, You didn't, you didn't say that word. Yeah. Um, uh, I've just, I've just, you know, read a lot of reviews that this is, Oh, such a romantic movie. I didn't think it was a romantic movie. I thought it was a movie about the main character's identity and how, and how she builds that, through so many people want her to be away her childhood friend wants to be away her husband wants to be away and she's like i'm gonna be my own person right um and it's her her kind of defiant need to be creative for instance i mean that's a constant theme throughout even as a little kid she's determined that she's going to win you know these big these big prizes nobel prize pulitzer prize etc um and she's you know she's willing to do whatever she needs to do to achieve that. And if that means putting aspects of her lives in a, in a, in a box and, and letting that be a part of her past, then so be it. But she's, she's going to move forward. Um, so I, th- I think it's a really fascinating character study that, um, you know, uh, of the type that we rarely get these days. Yeah. And she's investigating what person I would be if I would stayed in Korea and not been in New York city. Yeah, what absolutely. person if I just stayed here, what if I put what a person, if I just say go and go back or something like that, there's all these little th- questions that she's answering to identify herself. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is your five? Uh, that was my five. Oh, that was your five. Yeah. yeah. Perfect yeah. time to take a break. Okay. <laughs> all right. 
We'll take a little break and we'll get in our top five. Hey, welcome to the last Comic Shop Podcast. A comic book podcast that actually talks about comics. Yep, each week we open the shop up and read and discuss a comic. Sometimes we pair that up with comic book movies or TV shows. Or not. Lots of times it's just comic books and sound effects. Oh, yes. Definitely lots of sound effects. So tune in on all the major podcasting platforms to the Last Comic Shop Podcast. Or check out our library of evergreen shows at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Welcome back. And now more with the show. We're back, and now we're down to our last five, right? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think we um, we did my five. I don't know, but we didn't do your five, did we're we? starting with my fifth. Okay. Yeah, so number five is, of course, anything Alexander Payne does mm-hmm. is going to be on my list, and it's the holdovers. Okay, great movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really appreciate it. I think uh, Miss Randolph's going to get Best Supporting Actress. So she's getting all the accolades for this, and it's the right temperament for her. I think this is the right thing for a supporting role. She gets the right amount of scenery. She gets the right amount of emotions for it. Mm-hmm. But also Paul Giamatti and the, the kids are in it. It's a wonderful – everybody's acting performance is top-notch in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's great to see Paul Giamatti in a in a movie again. I guess he's – it's been a while since I've I've seen him. I think the last – um, was private was a private lives um, a few years ago on Netflix. I think it was like it came out during COVID. But okay. um, he's been bi- kind of busy with billions, um, so it feels like he's been sort of absent from from movies for a while. Um, but yeah, he gives a great performance. I think uh, I was really moved by moved by it. It was the opening night film at the T- Twin Cities Film Fest, and the crowd seemed to really like it. Yeah. Um, well, anything takes place in the winter, Minnesota, bro. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, it was refreshingly snowy, actually. Uh, it's not really snowy here right now. Um, I guess if I had any issue with it, it's only that um, the the visuals were so like heavily borrowed from Harold and Maude. Um, it was yeah, just, you can see a lot of that influence. Yeah. Um, it felt like a Hal Ashby movie by another name, which... Maybe isn't a fair criticism, maybe just an observation, but um, that's the only thing that maybe kept me at a distance. But I did really, really enjoy the movie. I mean, Paul Giamatti is is an amazing actor, and it's, like I said, it's great to see him again. Yeah, and I think she's definitely going to get Best Supporting Actress. Totally, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some kind of, like, Best Actor, even though I don't think he might win it. I think he, yeah. I could see a nomination for him. Um, I would, yeah, I think uh, her getting... Um, you know she's on uh, Only Murders in the Building. If you've ever watched that show on Hulu, yeah, that's Steve Martin. Martin Short, Short yeah, yeah. It's a super fun show, and she's really good on it. She's she plays a, a kind of a cop and uh, or a detective, and uh, yeah, she's really good on it. So uh, it's great to see her getting bigger roles. Yeah, wonderful. Well, moving on. Uh, so we're on what number four? Well, what do you have next? Uh, yeah. My number four is made December um, by Todd Haynes. Interesting. Ah, um, okay. I absolutely adored this movie. Um, uh, 
I'm a huge Todd Haynes fan. Uh, I think I've loved every one of his movies. Um, I, he's so good at looking at surfaces and the surfaces that people create for themselves. And this has been kind of an obsession um, of, yeah. of, of his just since since uh, since the beginning. Uh, he's, he's done, you know, Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story with Barbie dolls and kind of um, that was that was his investigation of surfaces and and um, the kind of damage that's beneath those surfaces, um, or you know I'm not there the Bob Dylan movie, um, is it I'm not there or I'm not here I'm not here I think yeah. okay I'm not there is that uh, Joaquin Phoenix documentary I think yes. right um, so uh, in any case so he's often interested in like the 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 facades that we create. To, there it is. That's the word, right? Yeah. Right. These, uh, yeah. 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 Julianne Moore's character is far more cared about what people think of her right. rather than what did you actually, you know, the coming terms of the reality of your relationship. She's right. far, and I get that he's playing this dance of, could it be a, a parody of this? Right. Yeah. I can see people laughing at some of the things. Obviously, when she, you know, she's worried about hot dogs. We don't have enough right. hot dogs in right. the music. Dun dun dun. Yeah. That it's almost um, a comedic, but it's emphasizing that this is what she's concerned about, rather than, you know, I seduce a teenage boy and be in this relationship. Absolutely. She's, she cares about nobody cares about um, her accepting her bakery. Right. But understand the elements of why, right. Right. right? She just doesn't get it, you know. And then Natalie Portman comes in and almost uh, really goes overboard with method acting. Almost wants to be her. Yeah, yeah, which which is so fascinating. I mean, it's it's Natalie Portman. I think has only gotten better with age. I think she's such a she can be so complex and yeah and um, multi layered. And she's you know she already won an Oscar for that kind of performance and in, in Black Swan. And uh, I think she deserved one for Jackie. Uh, Jackie was outstanding. Um, and here I think you know it's it's one of her best performances. Um, same goes for Julianne Moore. I think I think she Julianne Moore is just so yeah. This whole thing of just them doing makeup. Yeah. You know, right. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And you know when they're looking in the mirror, what are they seeing? Are they seeing who they really are? Are they seeing just the surface that they're putting on? Um, that kind of, that theme of mirrors is throughout the throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, and then James Melton. Um, who plays the the husband slash abused teen? Um, who slowly is beginning to realize what happened, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's what in his thirties, I think, at this point, and he still acts like a little kid, and in some ways, and um, has never really, you know, had complex sexual relationships or anything like that. And um, yeah, he's coming to terms that he's pretty much a vessel for her. Right. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's such a such a fascinating character study. Um, I think you know you, you hit the nail right on the head with the irony that that's going on throughout. Um, Todd Haynes is you know known for for irony, um, and the the score is uh, amusing and effective at the same time. Um, Where we should think it's awkward and funny. Julianne's more character probably tells this is serious stuff, right? Right, right. If she would stop the role and like, no, this is serious stuff. We're out of hot dogs, right? Or right. We're like and like laughing at these. You have to give a shit, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and just you know, uh, you know, to go back to this theme of of cognitive dissonance or compartmentalization, yeah, know, that's what these characters are doing. I mean, they're 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 placing their 
<laughs> strange behavior, uh, in some case criminal behavior in a box and, and concentrating more on what suits them. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, yeah. so it's, it's a really, I don't know. It's a really fascinating character study for that. And, uh, I think it's one of Todd Haynes's best films. Number four is not on your list, and it's Oppenheimer. I'm a huge fan of Nolan. I know he yeah. likes to take a big swing with the bat. If it's a foul ball, he doesn't care. But this one, I think it's kind of a home run. Um, new thing in kind of this year, and I, I don't know if he started, but this co- going to black and white to color, we see a sure. lot of that with this movies. Um, and I think he really wanted to do more book black and white in this movie than he had to do with color. I did like the construct. It kind of you, it kind of tells you what the kind of ending it's going to be. He likes these kind of endings, yeah, yeah. And I think kind of gets turned off, but he's not going to get it straight away from this kind of story construct. Um, but yeah, I just like the scale and the scope of it, and I don't think he's going to dial it down anytime soon. Um, definitely look for Celia Murphy to get best act actor nomination for this yeah i think he's giving an outstanding performance so i as i said before i watched this again the other night and just a little little background to why i was maybe a little lukewarm not lukewarm but just i i gave the movie i gave a i have a four-star rating and i gave the movie three and a half out of four stars originally when i wrote about it if i wrote the review again today i'd probably give it four stars sure um and the reason for that is that during um so they had a 70 millimeter projector for the press screening, right? Yeah. Um, and projectionists are like a real projectionist who knows how to deal with film. Yeah. Um, they're a rarity. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of digital, uh, a lot of theaters use digital projectors. Sure. You know, that's the standard now. And they're all just kind of um, on autopilot. Uh, the projectionist doesn't need to do much. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're right. So, um, so anyway, the the projector projectionists at at the press screening did not know what they were doing um, with the, the physical film with the than, physical film and, yeah. and the and the large projector. So it's a huge projector that they use for seventy millimeter film stock. Um, it was ever so slightly out of focus the mm. whole time, and then the the projector wasn't stabilized, so there was a slight wobble to it. And I know that there are moments in the film where there's an intentional wobble, like yeah. like um, Oppenheimer feeling stressed or something like that. It'll it'll kind of wobble. Yeah. Um, but this was throughout the movie, um, and it was just so aggravating <laughs> to me throughout that I wasn't sure if it was me, if my gla- if I need a new prescription for my glasses or or what, that I was super distracted. So I was kind of like not Hurt, yeah. not not as into it. Um but watching it again the other night, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an outstanding movie. It's nice to see Josh Hartnett it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, in um, this movie. It's nice to see like Matt also Matt Damon pops in. He's, um, he's he's got a lot of the little peppermints of it. Um my my big criticism with Nolan is he really Somebody needs to sit down with him and talk about you need to develop your female characters a little bit better. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 That's one of his weaknesses. This it's kind of this constant, you know, almost females are a drive for men. That right. He needs to be talked. <laughs> you need to do something a little bit better. But I, I love the concept of it. It's just um Celian Murphy's character, Oppenmeyer, is a little too he's a politician and a scientist. And mm-hmm. the scientist's mad at that he's a little the, the politics of him and the politics are mad of, of him, the scientist part. And it's this guy that uh, I'm kind of my own man, but I can't I don't fit into any kind of universe. Um so and then the dangers of I'm I have them constructing this thing that could blow up the entire world. Right. Right. Um yeah, I I'm probably gonna stay the legacy for him. I think people talk about more about this than Tenet. 
Oh, totally. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But interesting what he wanted to do next, uh, his next project. But yeah, Oppenheimer, number four. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge Nolan fan, and um, you know, to kind of talk about a little bit about what uh, you mentioned there with the black and white, um, I think it's you, you can see moments where he's drawing from JFK, and that's a movie that that uses black and white, yeah. or, and uh, Oliver Stone movies in general. I think they kind of would alternate between uh, black and white and and color, and I think you know Nolan's got a very intentional. Everything he does is very intentional, even if it seems like it's abstract. There's a there's a purpose behind it, yeah. um, and here you know the the black and white is sort of like objective reality, and then color is subjective reality. Yeah. Um, getting into into Killian Murphy's head and and seeing seeing what he's seeing, um, yeah. and you know I see I definitely get the argument that his female characters in general are underwritten, um, yeah. and I think if i can defend the film uh uh for this i would say that if it were a movie called you know the, the development of the atomic bomb or american prometheus or something like that i would say okay he didn't take a very rounded look at the female characters but uh, i don't know it's called oppenheimer and it's really from his perspective and he's using people throughout his life and he's driven by a singular ambition to a scientific ambition. Yeah. Um, so I think women are kind of like used up by him and that's, you know, he's not giving himself over to women in, the, in that way. So yeah. it, it kind of makes sense that women are so like curtailed in this film. Uh, it doesn't mean I didn't have that same complaint because I did. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it, it, it makes a little more sense here. Yeah. It's just the consistency of damsel of the distress that played in Tenet and all the Batman movies that, right. Yeah. Um, right. yeah, but moving on from number four, what is your number four? Uh, so my number four was May December. So now we're, I think on three, right? Yeah, you are on three. Um, uh, three is the taste of things. Interesting. Um, so this is um, it's not even going to open in in Minnesota or just anywhere in the U.S. until like February, right before the Oscars. Um, but it's a French film uh, by a Vietnamese French director, uh, Tran An Hung, uh, who did um, oh the. Boy, the I think it's the scent of green papaya back in 1993, okay. um, and that was kind of the last major um, like awards contender that he made. But um, and he's been working a lot in in just Asian cinema um, since then. But uh, he does have this French background because he emigrated uh, I think when he was like 12 to France from Vietnam. Um, so anyway, it's about uh, it's about a cook and or a chef and his cook. Um, and the chef um, is uh, played by Benoit Megamel. Uh, he's a he's a famous French actor, and his cook is played by uh, Juliette Binoche. And they have this twenty year relationship. It takes place like in the I think of the eighteen eighties, and um, they have this twenty year relationship where, you know, he's a famous chef, but and he comes up with all these amazing recipes, um, but she's the one who sort of cooks these recipes and brings them to life right. and adds a little something to them that um, nobody else can really achieve. Um, and they have this sort of tenuous romance where, um, you know, after a day of cooking, uh, they live in the same house. He'll just kind of knock on their door. They'll make love. Uh, but she won't marry him uh, because she's worried that um, the their love will become primary to the cooking. And the cooking right. is what's important. And yeah. so the film is is about kind of this French attitude toward art, um, and and 
that applies to you cuisine. You have to make some certain sacrifices, what's your dominant thing. I think Spielberg talked about a Fableman's. Are you a cook who happens to be in a relationship? Oh, yeah. Or are you in a relationship and you just happen to be a cook? Th- that's like a great analogy, yeah. Kind of hierarchy. Um, I love that. Usually people, when they put cooks in movies, it's all like they're super passionate people. Yeah. And it's almost like they're falling over with passionate love and everything. But um, this seems an investigation of just ordinary people who have a job of just bouncing out a relationship but also being cooks at the same time yeah yeah yeah. um i mean there are these it's a beautiful film i mean it's gorgeously shot there are these long takes of just process of like cooking um and so if you're at all a food oh the french i know they love it yeah uh, yeah it's and you're they're making these complex dishes that aren't really made anymore um they had a they had like a like a food coordinator um or like a director of gastronomy uh who well they do take it almost like an art form absolutely you don't appreciate the presentation as well as yeah yeah it's almost an insult yeah um and i don't want to spoil what my number two is yet but there the next film on my list is also dealing with with um uh art you know putting art first and i think that's such a fascinating um perspective uh one because that's that you know i relate to that i i it's hard to do for film it it is is, yeah. yeah um and yeah, so you've got these really complex relationships and this beautiful filmmaking, and um, you know, I, I was just completely, uh, completely mesmerized by this movie, and um, I, I saw it at the at the Twin Cities Film Festival, and it was probably the best thing I saw there. Uh, number three for me is the biggest surprise of the year for me. It's Godzilla minus one. Oh, okay. I am really impressed with this movie. Right. I was totally set to be. I'm. I'm never a huge fan of the Godzilla kind of these monster things, but this is the first time in my life I could say they got it absolutely right. Really? I loved it from beginning to end. You have this kind of sequence that's homage to Jaws and Jurassic Park at the beginning. But the right temperament of Godzilla, it does get a little bit Svengoolie at times where it gets hokey. <laughs> but then it gets the authentic um, real reality of people and how this devastation happens. Um, and it ha- takes place after World War II, how, what Japan does after World War II, um, you know, trying to stabilize itself, not to mention that there's a big sea monster out there. Um so does this take place? I haven't seen it, and I've heard okay. nothing but great things. Yeah. Uh, and I hope to see it, you know, this this weekend. Well, it takes imme- it takes place immediately after World War II, wherever you know Japan is lost, and so their identity is mixed in with this. Yeah. Like, you know, we got to pick up the pieces of who we are, um, the abandonment of kind of the construct of family too, and all that stuff is played into it. And this whole theme of, you know, Japan, you got to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Sure. And this is played upon of you don't have to sacrifice yourself to be, accomplish your goals. But, yeah, it gets the times where it's an action movie. Um, definitely J- Japanese all the way. I love to be, I love the everything. It's got the hokiness of the, you know, the lady looking out the window. Oh, my God, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, it's self-aware of what it is. But it has the right temperament. Mm. I mean, I think Garrett Ether wanted to do with his you, you, the oh, right the, amount the, of Godzilla, the, the 2014 version. Yeah. yeah, but the of Godzilla in the ocean chasing the boat was one mm. of the most fascinating things I have seen. I loved it from beginning to end. Yes. Yeah. So, so does this take place in like any god like any known Godzilla cinematic universe, or like is it a direct sequel to the original, or no, or, no, it just, just plays just on its, its own, own thing, little okay. old thing. It has this cool. right kind of. This very pastel color to it as well, mm. yeah, very brown and blues. But okay. it, it's it's fascinating, one of the best. I enjoyed it. It's one of my f- 
best experiences going to the movies this year. Great. I really um, appreciate it. What's awesome. your number three? Uh, my number three was The Taste of Things. So I think we're on two now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my number two, um, as I alluded to uh, when I was talking about The Taste of Things, is Showing Up. Um, which You really love this movie. I absolutely Again. adore ah. this movie. Um, Kelly Reichardt's latest is... Um, you know, I felt I felt vindicated actually because Film Comment named this as their number one movie, so I I felt uh, Good. Uh, vindicated. Good. It's uh, it's I don't think enough appreciation for people, and you tell about well, it's about a what's what is it? Well, it's a it's an art teacher who's also a sculptor and artist, right? Yeah, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, it's just kind of dealing with her. So similar to Taste of Things, it's about you know an artist who puts their art first, and she's kind of um, that's the most important thing in her life uh, is just working on these little sculptures of kind of malformed figures, yeah. and um, you know she's she's kind of prickly. She doesn't uh, you know she's kind of moody, and uh, yeah. anybody who prevents her from working on her art or anything that comes up in her life that prevents her life from going smoothly, which would then prevent her from working on her art. Um, is a problem. It's an interruption, right? It's right. Little interruption things. And yeah. she doesn't have time for social niceties, and um, she gets annoyed with people, and she's got some family drama to deal with, and you know Michelle Williams, who is a very, um, I think, distinct presence on on screen, yeah. uh, completely disappears into the role as she often does with Kelly Reichardt. Um, you know, she was in Wendy and Lucy and, and certain women and, um, and just, my, wants, just wants her shower to work again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. You can take a yeah. shower. Um, um, yeah. Great metaphor for the whole point of the, the movie is that this her shower doesn't work where she could just rinse us all away. We see that great metaphor all kinds of movies, but she can't. Right. It's, it stays with her. All these little interruptions, these object, you know, and also she's a teacher and students need help. And oh, my God, can you just do it yourself? But you don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, and it plays very quietly, but you know it, the film's quiet, but not in her head. She's jungle all these things. As I'm, I'm a artist. I'm a professional. I'm a business person. Right. I'm a daughter. I'm all this stuff. And my God, can you just go away so I can make these things? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and you're right. It is a very quiet movie. I mean, um, there it's got kind of these these bookends uh, of like a pigeon's eye view and like an, an injured pigeon plays a, plays a big role in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're just kind of observing this, this person. In Another thing world. she has to do, take care of this bird. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's this amazing little look at, at uh, a very three dimensional character that um, is similar to maybe like, um, uh, you hurt my feelings. It's it, it seems modest. It doesn't seem like a movie that's that's shouting for itself to be the you know the best movie of the year or anything. But it just works so well and it's so yeah. perfectly executed. And um, I'm a huge fan of Kelly Reichardt and the films that she makes with Michelle Williams. Uh, Meeks cut off above all, especially um, this day and age where you think movies need to be loud and boisterous and all that stuff. And we just talked right. about Oppenheimer, which is big, big scope and big scale. And this right. is kind of intimate, little intimate, intricate movie that yeah. it's nice let's get celebrated by you guys yeah yeah so number two is um of course poor things oh great yeah we, we, should, we should hold off okay, okay. what uh, so uh so, we already talked about this uh showing up as number two for you. um yeah so uh, i guess we can talk about this as my number one then uh, yeah let's talk poor, th- poor things is my number one um lanthimos's movies are, are, are usually outstanding yeah. um 
I've I've I think I've only given four stars to everything that I've. It's hard to say. God, I really like this movie. What's it about? Well, it's an ancestral family, uh, <laughs> right? Know, like Dogtooth, or you right. know, like Lobster, or um, the favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, it's a just a complex, really complex, really. Um, overloaded movie like just a visually overloaded mm-hmm. movie the costumes are very suggestive the harken the, back to the silent films of building construction sets of so this is paris like you totally are in the studio right <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah uh it's a kind of a surreal fantasy world like this very is a much, it yeah. looks like a victorian era setting but it's just there's a element of you know science fiction underneath um it exists in a world that has never existed before yeah um, and you totally buy into it yeah yeah absolutely uh it's so perfectly executed um the performance by Emma Stone is outstanding she's giving a she's giving everything in this literally everything yeah yeah, yeah. Right. um <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a very you know it's a very challenging movie i think there's been um you know, ultimately, I guess if you're unfamiliar with it, it's uh, kind of a Frankenstein story about um, Willem Dafoe is this sort of mangled faced um, uh, version of a of a mad scientist who puts a um, suicide victim's baby, uh, right. takes that brain and puts that into the adult's body. And what he creates is not just a baby's brain in an adult body, but he creates a, like in the literary definition of a monster, like an, like an other, like something that has never existed. Um, This is, she's a, she's a character who is somehow, there's some weird osmosis going on between the brain and the body to where she's, her, her hair is growing two inches a day and she's developing language faster than, you know, a normal, a normal human would develop language. She is a, she's a monster. She doesn't, she doesn't exist on any kind of like typical physiological, uh, definition. Um, and so she, you know, starts to explore her, her body and her impulses and she's got violent impulses and she's got sexual impulses and there are all sorts of men around her who want to, you know, ethnic. Ethics, morals, social constructs, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and the and Willem Dafoe's character doesn't give her that. He wants her to kind of explore on her own and play a little experiment, like you're on your own to see how it handles, right? Right. Yeah. And so she goes on this really kind of debauched journey of like self discovery and and uh, eventually empowerment. But you know, there's all kinds of men in her life who want to exploit her and and uh, take advantage of her and control her and um, she sort of you know emerges from that. Um, Very much a really distorted, toxic view of pulp patriarchal society this is definitely in a patriarchal society and all the men don't really want to it's almost like they want to sign her she's a doll she's something like a property right and anytime she has any sense of individualism they're done with her right right they almost preach her like a doll like oh you're just beauty and i just want to take you home mark ruffalo's character it, i don't know this, this is probably the most sinister he's gotten in his roles right of him and, yeah just i'm gonna take you on a world tour and pretty much show you off like i just bought a piece of art right right yeah and it's a very funny per- i mean all the performances and all these themes sound very heavy uh but it's also extremely funny like, yeah. throughout like you're you're <laughs> yeah. constantly laughing um yeah, I'm gonna it, go punch this baby. Sorry. <laughs> right, um, and, and it's taboo yeah. breaking, and you know if you're at yeah, all with her with the fruit and discovery, self discovery of her own body. Yeah. Um, to, to somebody like knew it. Yeah, somebody discovered the new in the world, but she has this very 
the different lens of the world that she is in that right. people are trying to like no you don't do this you got to do that but right yeah yeah and you know this this is a movie that's been you know i think it won the golden lion at venice it's um i'm sure it'll win hopefully some oscars um yeah. i have read some criticism that um you know that this movie somehow uh endorses pedophilia or something like that because it's a baby's brain and a human body but i think that's frankly a bad reading um i think it's you know like i said this is this is a story about an aberration uh something that doesn't has never existed uh does not exist and um should be taken for you know what what the filmmakers are trying to represent which is a, a, a monster who's been unleashed on the world and um ultimately kind of represents uh female identity and how it can be exploited by by men as you said it's a patriarchal world exploited is the word right Right. exploited yeah um and it's yeah to to think that this movie's i don't know at all about like endorsing pedophilia is just insane it's like it's um you know endor you know uh, representation is not an, an endorsement it's sort of you know the martin scorsese goodfellas or wolf of wall street you know he's not endorsing these these behaviors he's depicting them and you're it's up to you to to yeah. you know be it's, sp- it's her being exploited you know of who she is it's not so much that she has this child brain in her Right. But the people treat her as this physical vessel that could do whatever they want to. Sure. And anytime she challenges, like, no, I'm my own person, it's being, you know, confronted with these people and abandoned almost. Right. Right. I don't, at any time, there's not this, like, you know, this grooming process that we have in Priscilla of sure. pedophilia. But, right. It's, I think there's an attempt at it. Um, exactly. I, I think, like, yeah. Mark Ruffalo is attempting to do that. Yeah. And she gets what she needs from him and then she moves on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's this attempt to control, uh, to control people and, um, yeah, yeah I love it. it. He always, uh, Lanthimos's movies, very uncomfortable, very unsafe. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. very challenging. Not, you want to sit down and watch your parents, but he challenges with, especially with dialogue, you know, she says very, various jumping that he constrate, constructs these old worlds. And it's very interesting how he does this. I think they had a, they could tell the blooper wheel. <laughs> sure be kind of funny yeah yeah poor things is number one uh number one on yours yeah. yeah uh number one is mine is a kind of uh heavily criticized a lot of people are not really appreciative i just watched this for the second time and i know people are like it's very oscar baity but i really do enjoy maestro uh, oh okay great yeah. cooper and carrie mulligan this is another one just like poor things balanced between color and black and white that's mm-hmm. another thing in the movies with the this year um I think people are, I understand what the, the bisexualities present a little more dry. Obviously, Bradley Cooper is a straight man showing this bisexuality, and then people are like, well, it's kind of a little dry sense. But yeah, you think about it's Leonard Bernstein, but it's actually about Leonard Bernstein missing the person in his life, and no matter how much he treated her, was the benefit for him. And then when she goes away, it's almost like the muse is gone too mm-hmm. for him. 
but yeah, we talk about artists' structures and artists' process and stuff like that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it does, and I understand. I appreciate the criticism. It's very Oscar Beatty. It definitely wants to get into that best picture category, and you watch through all the sense that yes, they want to really do it. But yeah, I do like the music of it. I like the presentation. There's that great scene of them being on the stage together with just that one single light, and it's shot really wonderful. Yeah, and I think that's what carried me over. There's a lot of great sequences in that movie. I think it's, you know, the the whole sequence where he's sort of doing the on the town um, sailor dance and yeah. uh, getting pulled uh, but away from her by men. You know, it's it's not subtle, but it's a, extremely well executed. Um, you know, the scene where he's conducting it at the cathedral is just a beautiful sequence that is just yeah. really overwhelming. Um, yeah, I thought the acting was great. Um, it's something, it, those, all those little intricacies I love about films. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. It harkened back to, to me about Cold War. I really love the movie Cold oh, sure. War. And I think you'd see a lot of similarity from Cold War to this one. Okay. That's probably why I even elevated it this one a little bit more than a lot of people, other people are going to. Yeah. And I, I get the criticisms that it's Oscar Beatty or the that the performances are a little um, mannerist, which is which is fine. Uh, that kind of bugged me at times too, but I, I do appreciate how well... I, I mean, there's something to be, to be said for expressiveness um, in a movie. Yeah. Uh, I think realism is overrated. If I mean, obviously, Poor Things is my number one, so yeah. realism is definitely overrated in my <laughs> mind. Um, uh, yeah. So... Yeah, it's essentially gravity to... Uh, between uh, movie for movie, but then it has its almost documentary kind of a style to it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird interplay that, um, sure, may not always be successful, but I think I, like, Carrie Mulligan is is giving a very, like, uh, Catherine Hepburn or Rosalind Russell style performance here. Yeah. Um, and it's a very, it's an excellent performance. And, and the dialogue, um, if you look at the script, actually, uh, Netflix sent out a, a script um and all the little moments like oh did i spell ash and you you know like that's all written in there and it's so well like like performed to the letter um like these are real artists with a capital a um is what is what bradley cooper's going for and i I think he's you know i i think he's he's conceiving things that are very complex and very uh ambitious and yes if it's oscar Beatty, it's oscar Beatty. i don't really that doesn't really bother me i think it's i think it's uh, a very well executed movie that um yeah Yeah, yeah, i think he's doing wonderful projects that he wants to direct like star is born um which i i appreciate it it wasn't on my list of best movies but i understand that the projects that he's taken he's really challenging himself for what to do he's not taking just the money and running with something like and that you know you know nightmare alley is one of my top was number one movie for me so yeah yeah me too. he's yeah. really doing these movies really chanting about outer artist process and um especially about somebody that's so widely celebrated it's a dangerous risk to do these kind of characters that everybody knows about because you could really fall flat on your face or you can do something really wonderfully accomplished and it's it's a really bold stroll to do especially everybody appreciates leonard bernstein yeah i think he What's really impressive about him is that he takes his craft very seriously, and every choice that he makes, both in A Star Is Born, which I prefer a little bit to Maestro, but and Maestro, uh, everything's very intentional. Yeah, and he knows what he wants and he executes it. And for a filmmaker to do that um, is is tough. Very uh, tough, yeah. Uh, and he does that 
to the letter in both in both films. So I think he's he's a and really impressive director for a lot of people to watch, where you know it's very much constructed for the scene and everything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I understand. There's that just scene where they just set the camera down in the, in the living room and they just played out, mm. right? And yeah. That can be kind of annoying for some people. That is so a rigid, structured process film where poor things things very fluid. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and there's wild camera angles and there's yeah. you know bizarre iris shots and yeah all kinds of weird yeah. things and experimental things and and poor things and somehow that all comes together. But yeah, yeah you definitely feel a structure in Cooper's films that uh, I appreciate because, like I said, that's not an easy feat to achieve. No, I, I definitely think Karen Mulligan would get like a Best Actress nomination. I think this would probably get kind of like a Best Picture nomination yeah. they're really pushing for it netflix is really pushing for this movie yeah yeah um, so i kind of think you know i personally i would i would hope that they push for may december but maybe they can both get in for nominees yeah don't you get 10 right uh i think it's like 10 or 8 uh yeah. depending on the year it kind of varies but uh, well before we go yeah we got our list what do you th- can you just want to craft our assumption what do you think will be best picture in the Oscar, race? yeah, for this. Oh boy, um, well, definitely. Uh, I, think, I think I think Oppenheimer will might yeah, win. Killer uh, Moons for sure. Killers uh, of the Flower Moon. I think the 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 financial. So Oscar voters tend to think with, um, think about box office as a as a, um, measure of quality. Sure. And it, as great as Killers of the Flower Moon was, um, it didn't make its money back, um, and I think v- some voters. That and the runtime may bug people. Sure. Um, although, you know, Oppenheimer is three hours long, too. Um, I just think Oppenheimer is maybe a better success story and a better way of encapsulating the year um, in terms of, you know, as we talked about before, artist-driven projects were doing really well at the box office. Um, I could see Barbie winning, like, Best Screenplay or something like that or Adapted screenplay i do get some kind of accolades yeah. yeah or something for the I production i really want to see greta lee get a best actress nomination i yeah. want to see past lives get somewhere to get it get in there right i, uh, I don't think yeah I, I agree i don't think it has any chance of winning um just i don't think the average i think it's a little too subtle maybe for the average oscar voter um and I think poor things are a little too out there for people to appreciate. But I understand we, we've been taking some bold strokes for Best Picture recently with um, Del Toro's kind of films getting yeah. uh, Shape of Water and then uh, Moonlight and all that. Yeah. I mean, if if poor things won, that would be a dream come true for me. And like right. <laughs> like yeah. like a total like it couldn't get better. Yeah. Um, but I, I I don't know. I don't know how if that's going to win or not. Um, I bet Emma Stone will maybe get an if not win the best actress. Yeah. It's um, going to be between her and Lily, Lily Gladstone, I really think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I think if Lily Gladstone went for um, supporting actress, she would get it. Okay. No, no question. Um, but she was only in the, she was in the movie. I think she had like an hour of screen time um, and she's going for, for lead. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think that's going to be a stretch for her to win. I would love her to win, but I, I think it's going to be a stretch. Ryan. Yeah. Thank you for coming and uh, revealing your list to our uh, show. Man. It's it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I love talking movies with you all the time. Likewise. Uh, before we go, um, and we'll put the link down below, but do you want to just give a shout out where people can find you for more movie reviews? Yeah. Uh, so I write on uh, deepfocusreview.com. Um, if you really like my stuff, you can join the Patreon community where I do uh, exclusive reviews 
Wars. And um, once, the link down for the team. Yeah, it's uh, patreon.com slash deepfocusreview. And uh, all my, like, I do scholarly essays uh, once a month. Those are all exclusive to Patreon. First, I do a lot of exclusive reviews to Patreon, uh, weekly polls, weekly streaming recommendations, that sort of stuff. So join if you like what I do. Um, I'm on Care 11 every maybe six weeks, I think. Okay. Um, so I'll be on next in February. Um, and then, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Right. That's wonderful. That's a lot, a lot to do. And we'll definitely put the links down below. Great. So Thanks. I can find you uh, for deep focus reviews. Brian, thank you very much. Um, and you, as you know, it's not over till the guest says it's over. It's over. Okay. <laughs> Happy New Year.